Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Arthur Ashe, the American tennis great and philanthropist, once offered this advice on volunteering. Start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. Today, the focus of On The Wing Podcast is about volunteering. We have great guests that embody Arthur Ashe's advice. As we near National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic in 2023, and the celebration of our 40th anniversary, we're turning the spotlight on Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever chapter volunteers, the true lifeblood of our organization's habitat mission. On today's episode, we've got four dynamic chapter volunteers from Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever lined up to talk about their motivations for being volunteers. Today's guests include Austin Roby from Ohio, Ohio, uh, Kayla Bendel from North Dakota. I've never said Ohio in my life. I don't know why I said it there, Austin. Kayla Bendel from North Dakota, Clay Deddy out of Missouri, and Mike Coyle from Kentucky. And serving as co-host for me on this episode, welcoming Will Clayton back. You may remember Will. From episode number 37 with his buddy, Sabin Adams, the traveling bird hunting adventures on a budget. You're, you're kind of the, the, the face of Onyx on Pheasants Forever's video channel too, aren't you, Will? I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I, I, just, <laughs> I stumbled into one. We had a good time. <laughs> well, for folks that missed out on episode 37... Maybe give us a, a short biography of who you are, what you do for the organization, and uh, take us into to the beginning of this year of the volunteer concept. Yeah, thanks, Bob. I, um, I think if you go back to episode 37, we had a pretty in-depth conversation about, you know, deli sandwich meat versus prepackaged and where that fits <laughs> into the budget of the traveling bird hunter. So catch that captivating content on there. As you said, <laughs> uh, Will Clayton, um, senior regional representative with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. My wife and I live in Mayer, Minnesota, which is just west of the Twin Cities, um, about 35 minutes or so. Um, North Dakota State grad, go Bison, and uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> I, I work as a, a senior regional representative. So um, my my life is serving our chapter leaders, celebrating our chapter leaders, and trying to strengthen our, our chapter network. And we've got, as you mentioned, four amazing folks here, and they've all got great stories about uh, volunteerism. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, you're the volunteer, and uh, it's it's sort of what you said. It's volunteers that are the lifeblood of this organization. And the Year of the Volunteer is simply a content series that highlights that. And there's so much talent in our chapter network that putting a big spotlight on these folks is, is exciting to do, uh, especially mm -hmm. leading into Pheasant Fest, Quail Classics, celebrating our 40th anniversary. So it's a really special time. Um, Part This podcast is part of the content series, but previously on our social channels, um, we've released The Next Generation of Forever, part one and two, which is grabbing some chapter volunteers and elevating their stories um, there and in our, our blog page on the website. So a lot of stuff going on, especially at Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. We've got more volunteer content seminars than we've ever had before. So it's been a, a really exciting time to put that big spotlight on our chapter volunteers. You mentioned we've got these four terrific guests. You know, I think about rough numbers. We have 725 Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever chapters around the country. And 
on average, there's six chapter officers in each of those each of those chapters, you know, the president, vice president, habitat chair. So in general, general numbers, we got 4,000 people that are volunteers that dedicate their time, their blood, their talents to the organization on a local chapter level. And we got these four folks. How did these four folks get tapped as you know, highlighted for this podcast. Maybe explain that process and how you pulled um, our regional reps around the country. I mean, exactly that. So when we we wanted to launch this year, the volunteer concept, we wanted a podcast to be a part of it, um, to hear those stories. And each one of these was nominated by their regional representative, uh, which is cool. I mean, uh, it's that position within the organization that, as I said, serves our chapter volunteers. So we work with them day in and day out, try to help us all be successful in delivering our mission. And you know, they were lucky enough to be elevated to the, the On The Wing podcast. So we're excited to hear from them. So we're going to start in the state I called Ohio, which I don't know where that came from, other than I'm a Michigander and uh, by, by birth anyways. And we um, hopefully will meet in a grudge match be, uh, Michigan <laughs> Ohio State at some point uh, in the college football championship here. But uh, Austin Roby is the Hardin County, Ohio chapter president. Um, Austin, welcome to uh, uh, On the Wing Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bob. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mentioned you're from Ohio, but fill in you know, the major gaps. Where, where in Ohio, what you do for a living, and... Uh, and then we'll we'll dive into your your connection with the the local chapter. Okay, yeah. So I'm from a little a little town that nobody's ever heard of, um, but we're about an hour and a half or so south of Toledo. Um, I went to Ohio State, graduated forestry, fisheries, and wildlife. But and I don't tell a lot of people this, but I'm actually a Michigan fan. So go blue. <laughs> well maybe that's why you got selected for this particular episode yeah yeah if you could see will's face right now i'm sure that i'm sure there's a lot of listeners that share that same look so by then i'm hoping that michigan will be national by the time this airs i hope this will be uh, michigan will be national champions so um <laughs> you just got disowned by all your ohio chapter yeah i know fellow volunteers. i know so anyway, um, yeah, so graduated from Ohio State with a forestry, fisheries, and wildlife degree. I am the uh, natural resources manager for a metropolitan park district um, over in the neighboring county. So uh, Johnny Appleseed Metro Parks, if you're ever, ever in northwest Ohio. So we manage about 1,600 acres of uh, prairies, woods, you know, just a little bit of everything. So um yeah other than that born and raised here in hardin county uh married to my wife carly now for five years we got two boys one's luke is four and carson is going to be two here real quick um and we've got four three bird dogs and a coon dog so it's a it's a hopping place (laughs) three bird dogs a coon dog yep and and two boys yep and we run a my wife and I both work full time and then we kind of started this covid hobby of beekeeping and that has blown up into uh something bigger than what we ever imagined so we have no spare time <laughs> so you're the poster child of people that say well I'm just too busy to volunteer yeah yeah because you you've run the exact opposite you're the president of the chapter right um so how do you reply to people that say that they're too busy when you have three bird dogs a coon dog two boys a job yeah well you know you have a full house right and my response is always you got to make time for what you want to do you know if you really want to do it mm. you'll make time for it so i mean i have no business being able to go out and hunt and stuff because i got too much other stuff to do but i make time for it even if sometimes my wife doesn't appreciate it so tell us about how 
how it started for you. Why did you become a volunteer at the beginning? Well, I grew up hunting and fishing and all that, but never really bird hunting until, well, let's see, six years ago, I got my first dog, uh, our black lab, Belle. And I had grown up in the, and our, our chapter has a youth hunt every year. And I had grown up in that. And I had no idea how to train a dog, but wanted to get into it. So I reached out to them and um, a couple of the older guys, uh, Jim Ulrey, took me under his wing and kind of trained, trained me how to train the dog. And then from there, obviously, haven't looked back, uh, picked up two more bird dogs and yeah, loving every minute of it. Mm. So, so the, the dog really was the catalyst for you getting involved. It's, it's funny how often I hear that, um, in the organization. Will, I, I, I mean, I think about Julia Schrenkler, Kang Yang. I mean, so many people that run in the Twin Cities Metro circle with us that point to the bird dog as the catalyst. It, it, this is a frequent um, reason for getting involved in chapters, isn't it, Will? I mean, it certainly is. And it, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Not only are these community organizations, but oftentimes you're creating wildlife habitat and places mm -hmm. for your dog to, to tear off on, you know, and go adventure on. So, you know, Austin's story is one that's not just unique to him outside of, you know, all of the other things he's got going on in a partridge in a pear tree, but uh, the dog <laughs> at times can be that catalyst to get folks into yeah. these chapters because you're creating more places to go adventure with that dog, you know? I was reading your bio, Austin, as I prepped for this. And one of the things that struck me as really interesting is you help spur the chapter to buy a drone to, to check fire breaks and habitat projects. Um, you know, my assumption is that that was a conversation, an interesting conversation with your fellow chapter officers, you know, embracing technology and using new tools to help execute what, you know, our habitat work. It, it, was there a story there uh, behind the drone? Um, so really what, what started all that was I, I'm a certified prescribed fire manager. So we started, I started uh, the chapter burn program last year and with the goal of like 50 acres because I was the only one that had experience, you know, just wanted to dip our toe in the water, so to speak. We got blown away with how many people wanted us to come burn for them. So hmm. we started taking some videos and stuff like that and putting it on our social media and it just blew up from there. So... Hmm. The drone is made is 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 meant to increase that social media presence, increase that awareness of what we can do as a chapter, and it makes my job a little bit easier because uh, you know, like the one field was ninety some acres that we burned. Well, now I can hmm. do the the uh, burn check or the burn break checks from my pickup. So it it is actually not as hard as what you would think. So well, good. Yeah, yeah. With uh, with three dogs and two kids, using technology to help shorten the time on some of those things. That's uh, work smarter, not harder, all the time, right? You gotta you gotta realize the value of your time. Yep. Yeah. Um. As we before I move on to the next uh, volunteer, you know, as you think about your time volunteering with the organization. What jumps out to you as something really valuable, important to you personally that that you've experienced along the way? You know, the habitat stuff's great, and I, you know, we've we've done a lot. We just, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the Mallet property that we acquired uh, at Big Island. Mm -hmm. It was 417 some acres, um, which probably isn't that big out west, but here in Ohio, that's a big deal. Um, so the habitat stuff is great. But I would say overall, it's just the friendships that we've made in the chapter. Um, you know, there's a group of us now that we go up to Michigan every year grouse hunt. And if it wasn't for me volunteering, for all of them volunteering in the chapter, you know, we would have never mm -hmm. really crossed paths. So it's just nice to meet with a, a bunch of guys and girls that 
have the same interests that you can go out and do stuff outside of chapter work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how many lifelong friendships uh, result in, in volunteering. I mean, I think about, you know, Will, again, you know, where we live, you think instantly Scott Rawls, Scott Ramheld, and Kenny Reed. <laughs> you know, we did a podcast with those three guys specifically about the friendships that they have. They travel the country together, and it all started with volunteering with the local chapter. And that, again, that's not uncommon. It's, you know, people that love habitat, love dogs, love you know, wild spaces, they tend to have a lot in common. Yep. And and it's not just, you know, our chapter, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of broken the county lines and we're going outside and interacting with some of the local, the surrounding chapters too. And yeah, just kind of opening up that network. Well, <clears throat> that's a great transition to, to Kayla Bendel from North Dakota. Um, because, a couple of threads instantly I know to be true. Super busy, still volunteers, and friendships. You know, I think about, uh, you know, Renee Tamala and Emily Spol. I mean, people that you work with um, through the organization and a volunteer, and you have great friendships with there, too. Um, it, it, not to steal your bio, Kim, but go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background and, and who you are. Yeah, so currently live in Bismarck, North Dakota, but um, still pretty proud and tied to my Minnesota roots. Um, grew up in the Twin Cities uh, and was forced to move to Bismarck for my first uh, big girl job with Pheasants Forever. Um, I still have a note on my fridge from my dad. The position was like only for sure funded for two years. And the note says that I would be back home by 2019. Um, (laughs) and I am not, uh, just fell in love with Bismarck and the outdoor opportunities. Um, I mean, particularly upland hunting, but just so many, uh, hunting and fishing opportunities. And I like to make it back to visit, but, um, not a huge fan of the city living in the cities anyways um i have a bird dog here finley a poodle pointer um been married to my husband for i should know this a little over four years um and expecting our first kid in any day now but february early february is the due date so yeah and i work now i no longer work for pf but volunteer um with our local ladybirds chapter and work for um north dakota game and fish so our state wildlife agency so as we record this on uh december 28th it, you say <laughs> your due date is in february but you're ready any day now <laughs> i mean i'm not ready it just became a reality after christmas that technically i've seen a few people recently like have mm. kids that are earlier than me so we probably should be ready yeah well, congratulations i hope it all goes super smooth for you and like you say um you, you have growing family you're super busy new gig with north dakota um yet you stay on as a volunteer. You don't work for Pheasants Forever anymore, but you're Sometimes volunteering. Sometimes it feels like time. it. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about why you're, why you're volunteering your time still when your paycheck is coming from a different entity. For sure. Uh, just, you know, I ever since I worked for PF, it just feels like one big family, whether you're staff or volunteers. And as you mentioned, still some of my um, best friends work for the organization all just kind of bleeds lines into your lifestyle. Um, And there's certainly days I don't feel like going to a banquet planning meeting. Um, But I just think um, hunting and conservation have been tied together for so long. um, And it's just kind of a responsibility as as a really avid um, hunter, angler, sportswoman um, to to give back. And particularly the uplands really need us right now. And if if we're not going to do our part, whether that's financially or even just continuing to keep this lifestyle relevant. Um, I don't think anybody else is. So just continuing that thread of, of hunters being a crucial part of conservation. And um, also, it's just, of course, fun. And I've 
met this incredible network of women that uh, share the same interests and, and general lifestyle as me. And that's something I didn't really find growing up in the Twin Cities. Um, hmm. So, yeah. It is interesting. You know, Emily Spolier is from Michigan. Renee Tamala is from Minnesota. And you go down the list of folks that, these folks I know that work and live in North Dakota, they're from other states, and they never really like they talk about moving back to their home states but they're they, they sort of all fall and head over heels in love with north dakota can you put that into words what like what why what, what happened in north dakota that uh that you know like you say you have a, a sticky note on your refrigerator from your dad saying you'd be back in 2019 <laughs> you know we're at the precipice of 2023 as we record so uh you haven't kept that promise kayla <laughs> i know um i mean we'd like to keep it a secret and let people think it's just a barren wasteland which it kind of is right now we've gotten like 50 inches of snow um since like november but uh just that there's just so many opportunities and i think not that many people um i'm consistently amazed by the access and bird numbers and um ability to sincerely be like 10 minutes from where i live and be into wild bird hunting uh, i know that's mm. not true everywhere and and to not see another vehicle there and not really have any competition is tough to beat um it's mm. just allowed me to get outdoors and and do things a lot more often than just weekends um you talk about being busy it's easier to fit in just a couple hour hunt because you're not i feel like growing up in the cities it was always like going uh north up north for weekend mm -hmm. adventures but this really opened up the possibility of weekdays and just a lot of different um, types of hunting. I don't think we could stay here if it wasn't uh, a manageable trip back to Minnesota, though. So it's nice that it still can jump back over the border um, to get my lake fix um, <laughs> and see some uh, some different country. But yeah, it's just a, a little bit of a hidden gem and not too many people around either. Right. Well, you, you've talked about a variety of things related to North Dakota and volunteering that appeal to you, the network, the access, the ability to have an impact on habitat. Um, anything you missed or you want to add to being a volunteer that maybe the single best thing or something that you haven't mentioned that you want to leave people with, uh, uh, you know, to inspire them? to give back and volunteer in during their busy lives? Yeah, I think just, um, again, I didn't really have, and, and not because it didn't exist, but maybe just because there wasn't a place to all come together, but just didn't really have a, a network of, of women that had the same interests. And the Ladybirds is a cool chapter. We have um, everywhere from avid hunters to people that um, garden and camp or only do certain types Ooh. of hunting or um, so it's just, women who like the outdoors um, and it's been a really fun um, just network or community to be a part of and to find something I didn't have um, and recently it was November we held our rooster rally which is just like come meet us very informal um, we're all going to go hunting there won't be like any formal instruction and it's a nice kind of follow-up to some of the other formal events we hold throughout the year to just one more opportunity um, it's got an unwelcome tradition of having terrible weather and this is the earliest we held it in late November and it was still miserably cold and windy with already the first blizzard behind us. Um, but there was a gal there from Missoula, Montana who had driven, um, all the way just to, and I felt bad. The weather was terrible. The birds were super jumpy. The restaurant we were going to meet at was closed. So we ate at the Senex. <laughs> um, but she was just in the same boat like really thankful to find um just a group of women she said let us know when her our next get together like that was and it was just kind of an eye-opener that that's not something i always had and i maybe take it for granted um and so just helping other women find um those connections has been really rewarding yeah right um it's interesting immediately there's a theme there you know, in terms of, you know, the friendships Austin talks about in the network that, that you talked about, um, you know, whether it's a network or friends that go to Michigan, you know, it is, again, like-minded people and you, you, you develop some lifelong, um, you know, relationships that mean a great deal to people. Um, I want to give a shout out to 
on X Maps here as we uh, before we jump to uh, Clay Denny from Missouri. Onyx is a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, they're a sponsor of this podcast as well, and they love for you, and I'd love for you to give Onyx a shot if you're not yet a subscriber. Use the codes Pheasants or Quail for 20% off during the checkout process at onyxhunt.com. And every time you use one of those codes, pheasants or quail, Onyx makes a donation to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and helping us create more public lands for all of us to chase our bird dogs. Thanks to Onyx. All right, jumping to Clay Denny from Missouri, the outreach chair for our chapter in Kansas City, Missouri, Clay Denny and his GSP Bullet are credited with introducing more than 250 new hunters to wing shooting. Clay, that's a lot of new uh, new hunters for you and your bird dog. Yeah, yeah, we've got a very active chapter, the youth outreach. Um, we do a do a dove hunt in September, a youth and ladies hunt in October. And we've now started doing goose hunts in December. Uh, we've got a springtime youth and ladies pheasant hunt, and we do some learn to shoot events in the summer. So we've got something going about every two or three months with our chapter. And, hmm. um, yeah, I started also volunteering for some other chapters that had never done youth events uh, to kind of show them how how to put one on and uh, bring some dogs and help volunteer in the area. Um, so yeah, we've been to quite a few events and helped a lot of kids and ladies uh, get involved in the sport. Very cool. Let, let's backtrack a minute and just um, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, what you do for a living. Yeah, um, I moved to Odessa, Missouri, which is just east of Kansas City back in 17. Uh, before that, I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, I was doing like fine dining, French gourmet food on the strip and everything, hmm. and uh, got into my bird dogs, uh, German short hairs. And one day I came home and told my wife, like, I'm not cooking anymore. Um, I'm going to find a way to make money and run dogs and started a kennel and um, got more and more German short hairs and also ran a nationwide dog transportation business where I was hauling dogs once a month to all over 48 and I would move hound dogs, police dogs, pit bulls, I mean any kind of dog you could think of for breeders and trainers and everything I'd transport all over the country. Um, and that started to grow. The kennel started to grow and I wanted more space. I wanted to get out of the city and I got to thinking about where would be a good place to run this transport business and to grow the kennel. And in the Midwest is what everybody thinks about when they think of bird dogs. So, uh, and ended up moving out here to Odessa and bought a place. We've got about 10 acres, um, got a little one acre pond. And now I have 40 German short hairs and we have about eight litters a year. And it's all I do is raise dogs and hunt and guide and board and train and breed. And... Wow. <clears throat> There's a novel there somewhere. So I, I've got to ask, cause everybody's wondering like what the heck happened at, at the restaurant business, you know, you're a chef in Vegas. You're like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to Kansas City. What was there an event that happened that like completely, or maybe you can't talk about it? No, I can get into it. Uh, I, I went to a field trial basically, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was looking up the rules the night before online and went out there with my one dog, Bullet. And, uh, you know, there was 10, 15 pros there with horse trailers and. 20 dogs on a string and, you know, running dogs for a living. 
And uh, there I was with my little Ford Ranger and my wire crate in the bed, my one dog. And I, I was very intimidated, but uh, we ended up winning first place. And when ah. they called Bullet's name and my name for the first place blue ribbon, I was like, wow, this is, I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. It's, uh, it was, it was a, it was a moment, you know, the life changing moment. I thought I, I've got to do more of this. I got to find a way to, to, because this is just too cool and there's all these guys standing around me that, that are doing it for a living so i found my way into the dog world and uh, uh, yeah and then i got to know some other trainers and breeders in the southwest you know in utah and arizona and um, we were all looking to buy some more dogs from the midwest and there was nobody that was able to transport them for us so i got to thinking if there's nobody that's willing to do this and we can't find a, a business that'll transport then why don't i start one so mm. i took all the seats out of my suburban and got a business license and everything and started all in dogs and then eventually i had a big 3500 cargo van and um i moved 35 to 50 dogs a month once a month be on the road for two weeks at a time and travel 17 20,000 miles in two weeks and i toured all <laughs> kinds of kennels met all kinds of people that sort of helped me build uh my idea on how to set up my kennel and how to create my breeding program and everything and and i took that knowledge that i gained from traveling around the country and, and brought it here to my place in odessa and, and built my kennel but yeah so when i moved out here to odessa i didn't know anybody and I had done some DU events as a kid and I knew, like, you know, there's good camaraderie in those groups and stuff. And there was a little bit of selfishness and wanting to uh, promote the kennel and promote the dogs. And I was, you know, I need to go find a, a, a bird group, you know, like Quail Forever, Pheasants Forever and, and get involved. And I called up uh, the local chapter and talked to the treasurer. And he's like, yeah, come on down to one of the meetings. And we've got a banquet coming up. Do you have any items you'd like to donate? Maybe a puppy or something. So I ended up donating a pup to the first banquet I went to and I think I've been doing it every year since and um, went to a youth hunt and uh, helped out with that. And I, when I saw the kids, you know, shoot their first route, you know, or it, it, it was just an incredible feeling to be involved in what I knew was going to be a core memory for them. And to help them learn about the outdoors and to to be a part of that in their life and to you know kind of facilitate that was it's just there's nothing like it and um, I just I wanted to get more involved in it and do more of it and uh, yeah so then that's why I pushed our chapter to start doing more events getting into the dove hunt and doing the goose hunt and um, yeah it's been a lot of fun. Tell us about the police athletic league partnership because that's not something i've heard another chapter doing before so the police athletic league is a group of police officers that meet kids downtown kansas city they're all inner city kind of troubled kids that don't have a lot of guidance in their life and they have a big old abandoned church they set up for them where they've got like a boxing ring and they've got a place to work on bikes and they've got uh, a little kitchen for they can learn culinary skills and an art room and just a, a place for them to check in every day and have somebody you know, looking for them to make sure they're still out there running around and they're, they're kids that really don't have any help and um, they decided they wanted to get involved in a hunting program so they set up a little archery range down in the basement of the church and they've got an air rifle range down there and a couple of the officers got certified to teach hunters ed and they got uh, the first round they've got about six of them certified they're awesome kids you know they're very respectful they come up shake your hand thank you very much Ooh. you know it's an awesome day and uh, then they all go back to the to the clubhouse there in the city and tell all their friends and now i think they've got like 12 more kids that want to sign up for next year and they're just eating it up and um i'm, I'm really thankful that they asked to for the help because our chapter, we hit the suburbs pretty hard. You know, we get a lot of kids from the suburbs of Kansas City, you know, Blue Springs, Lee Summit, and, that area, and then a little bit out to the country out here as well. But we've never been able to really get into that inner city group and, and get those kids that that have no guidance in, in the outdoors. And, and uh, 
a police athletic league gave us that that arm out into that community and to pull those kids in and, and to get them involved and um you know with that kind of work i feel like you're really changing someone's direction there because you're showing them not only a positive experience with firearms but you're showing them something they can do outside of the city that's you know very accessible to them it's, it mm. doesn't take much and, and just such a, a fun thing to do and, and get their mind out of that you know concrete jungle you know yeah it's a really cool story about the police athletic league clay thank you so much for for making that connection and i'm sure you're really influencing those uh those inner city uh kids perspective on the outdoors and that'll last them forever let's transition to, to mike coyle from kentucky and uh mike is with the north kentucky quail forever chapter and he's the outreach chair tell us a little bit about your background mike well i'm i'm probably the senior of the group here i'm 53 and uh been married to my wife heather for almost 27 years now got six kids well we're adopting our sixth pretty soon they range from 34 to one so i've got pretty big array <laughs> got a one to two wow. year old in the house currently <laughs> you're not busy at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> my wife might disagree with that but uh yeah i got a little <laughs> bit on my plate but i always like to squeeze in something like this um if it can help somebody else out i'm i'm happy to do it and how did you get involved um first off with quail forever well it's a little different for me than some of the other stories i was i was wrangled into it to be quite honest with you somebody volunteered me that hey need you to come and help at this banquet and um so i did and kind of enjoyed it obviously if i didn't enjoy it i still would i wouldn't still be doing it right now but um been and it was with another organization before quail forever even existed and, and our chapter kind of transitioned over to quail forever in 2014 but our but our our big pride and joy of our chapter is this is our large youth event which um mm. we've been putting on for going on 27 years now obviously we started with another organization like i said but we moved this our 27th year coming up i think or maybe our 28th now um so it's a long growing process and this past year we had 429 kids actually there so and that's just kids we don't even count the adults and all the volunteers it takes it's quite an undertaking but it's probably a thousand plus people you know when you have that many people and you've been doing it for for that long is there a, a story or a, a reaction that sticks out in your mind from all those years um always a lot of good feedback i mean people are very thankful we I enjoy doing it because you're giving a kid an opportunity that you wouldn't otherwise probably have had at least introduced mm -hmm. him to something different, you know, and maybe his mom or dad hunts. So, so I'm from Northern Kentucky, born and raised here, and it's a suburb. We're just south of Cincinnati, about 15 minutes south of Cincinnati here. Um, so there's not a lot of hunting opportunity very close. Uh, so, you, you know, your buddy's got a farm an hour drive away, or you're driving at least a half an hour. And some people... Yeah, they might hunt on their farm, um, but it's smaller plots, you know, 50 acres or maybe 100. Um, not a lot of upland hunting in Kentucky in general, but um, uh, deer and rabbits and other small game and stuff like that. But uh, but not every kid has that opportunity. So maybe his dad deer hunts, um, but not necessarily shoots crossbows or archery or pistols or other stuff. So this youth event, we have... 19 stations um currently i always try to expand that every year if i can i'm trying to put a kayak Ooh. pool in is the next one i'm trying to do i'm trying to get somebody to somebody to sponsor a kayak pool for you know one of the major kayak manufacturers or bass pro or cabela's i'm hoping will step up and do something like that um so i try to grow the event as i can um with help from obviously others i, I say i too much i guess it's not me um there's a core group of about 20 to 25 guys that put this event on, but we have, you're talking about all the volunteers you have. Our event, it's, it's only one day, and I wish it could be more often, but it's one day a year, and we have at least 102 on my list um, is how many Ooh. it took to put that event on that one single day. Wow. And then we get help from the Department of Fish and Wildlife in Kentucky has been great. We've got 15 to 17 people from, from their organization come out and help with hunter education and 
providing other um, resources that we use for some of the stations and stuff. They shoot the cannon net. That's always a big, big thing. They'll shoot the cannon net off. The kids love it. The cannon net. You might have to explain that for us. Well, that's what they, um, Austin would know about that, I guess, if you're, you said you were a biologist. Um, so, so they shoot those over, they used to be turkeys, I guess, and they would trap turkeys mm. and, and move them to a different area. Nowadays, they use it primarily for ducks. I think um, so. They they shoot it over a flock of ducks and they'll catch them and band them and then they release those ducks probably at the same point. Um, so, but it's always a big, big attraction for the kids to watch. You know, they have a big countdown and everything. But something they wouldn't otherwise have seen. I wouldn't have seen it yeah. other than that event. <laughs> have you ever auctioned that off at your banquet? The opportunity to shoot the cannon? <laughs> uh, we have not, but you know, that's a good idea. We might try that. It's usually some dignitary and um, somebody wants to do it. I've been offered and I was like, no, I don't need to shoot that. Just, just let that somebody else actually wants to let, let them do it. And they got a big kick out of it. So that's always, it's always a big attraction, but, uh, but yeah, it's a big event. As you talk about Kentucky and, you know, somewhat less upland opportunities and say Kayla gets to experience in, you know, Bismarck, North Dakota in the heart of, you know, pheasant country and your sharp tails and huns. She was making me jealous about, talking about that. Yeah. But, but it, 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 it adds to, or it brings up an obvious question is, you know, we have an awful lot of chapters that aren't in the heart of, the uplands you know that they are in places that you know the glory days are are past right that they want to create grassland habitat to boost up the birds that are there um why quail forever for you mike what what's appealing about the organization that um you know maybe the uplands aren't the biggest thing in kentucky but you've been volunteering with Quail Forever for a long time. Why is that? We transitioned to Quail Forever as a as a group mainly because of the grassroots structure. Um, so we've had again another organization, and we've pretty familiar with banquets, and we've had pretty successful banquets. And all the all the money we raise goes to the national organization, and we see a little bit of it trickle back to our local chapter. And with Quail Forever, the structure is so different that we get to keep our money locally this this youth event which like i said that's our that's our kind of our big deal that's our big party for the year um everybody enjoys it and we bring in a lot of outside help for it but it's expensive you know we spend up to ten thousand dollars on that event and if you throw in the um every kid that shows up we pay for their um membership to quail forever as well so they get the magazine and everything else and that's another four thousand dollars so mm. it's expensive and we didn't have enough to even fund that single event with the other organization on an ongoing basis so now we do and we could control where that money is spent and we spend it on a lot on that event specifically but then we do other things as well in that uh we sponsor nas programs we've started uh, maybe 10 or 15 nas programs in different schools you know, a thousand dollars a year and a thousand dollars there. So we're able to do that with Quail Forever that we would not have been with another organization. That that's something, Will, that I think, you know, we work in the organization, you somewhat take for granted that everybody knows the unique model, you know, the different model that that Mike's referencing. Tell for our listeners that may not be intimately uh familiar with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's model, Will. Give overview of what Mike's talking about, how we function a little bit differently from other nonprofits. Yeah, you bet. It's, uh, I mean, it's our most powerful tool is that local model. So 100% of the net proceeds of any chapter's banquet or any fundraising event stays in control of that chapter. And it's their decision on how to spend it on the mission to further that mission. So, you know, uh, when I when I go to a banquet, I don't put all the money in a suitcase and drop it off at your office, Bob. Uh, we trust <laughs> our chapter volunteers uh, to deliver our mission, and part of my job is to help them do that. And it's mm-hmm. so empowering uh, to see volunteers. You know, they put their time in, their effort. We've heard a million stories so far, and 
to give them the power to do it is it's uh, second to none as far as conservation organizations go, in my opinion. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is, so I'm in my 20th year now in that ability to raise money locally and then make the decision on how to use that those dollars, whether it's to buy land for creating a wildlife management area for public access, whether it's to work with, you know, the police athletic league to introduce, uh, you know, underserved communities um, to the outdoors, whether it's, you know, introducing people through mentor hunts um, or, you know, working with landowners to create better habitat on, you know, and through CRP or farm bill programs, whether it's to work in Washington, D.C. to introduce and hopefully create in 2023 the Grasslands Act, you know, the, or the get Recovering America's Wildlife Act finally over the hurdle. You know, it's that's the power of the model that uh, Mike referencing is that these local volunteers like the ones we have on this episode it, it play upon different passions that they have as human humans, right? Like whether it's mentoring, whether it's public access, whether it's habitat and the model of, you know, that we put in place so many years ago, 40 years ago, um, to, to allow the chapter volunteers to sort of see the results of their sweat equity come to fruition. That's been a recurring theme where, whether we talk about the network of friendships that's created, you know, another thread that always comes up is this unique model. Um, Mike, as, as we close out here, um, anything that you wanted to underscore um, in, in your time as a volunteer that you wanted to bring up here before we, we circle the wagons to the closer uh, of this episode? Uh, only that don't be afraid to try. Uh, if you know, our, our event's really big. It, it took 27 years to grow it that big. And if you look at that event on the surface, you're going to say, man, our, there's no way we could handle this. We started, I had to ask around, but, um, I think we started and there were, might've been 20 kids at our, at our, you know, youth event one year and 27 years later, we're up to over, over 400 now. And we continue to grow. Some, sometimes we shrink up a little bit, but, um, but don't be afraid to try it. Use the resources that you have available. Get donations where you can and, and at least start somewhere. Yeah, that's good advice. In terms of starting somewhere, if you're interested in you know, meet, meeting like-minded folks, creating more habitat, creating access, helping introduce the next generation or underserved audiences to the uplands, um, or just learning a little bit more about volunteering, you can go to pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. Um, it's like center right of the homepage. It says find a chapter. Click on that, find a chapter tab. You can see a, a, a local Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever chapter near you. Or if we don't have one, like in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, you could uh, uh, volunteer to help start a chapter in that community and help us um, introduce more people to the organization and, and get them involved. Um, as we round out, and um, I'm going to ask for closing thoughts from all of you on things that stick out to you about being a volunteer, maybe something that came up during the episode that you want to underscore. We'll start with Austin. Uh, first of all, Austin, thank you very much for for again, being a part of your chapter, volunteering your time during um, this evening to, to record the podcast. Anything that you want to bring up as a closing thought for this episode for our listeners that may be on the fence about volunteering? You know, I would say just just give it a try. You know, I think the common thread between all of us here is that we all have a lot of other things going on. Um, but once you get in, it seems like you kind of get sucked in and um, you're there forever. Um, so just give it a try. You know, don't be afraid to reach out to us. Um, and who knows, maybe next year you'll get to go out on a grouse trip or whatever with, you know, <laughs> with us. So yeah. just just don't be afraid to reach out to any of the chapters. So Yeah, good advice. 
Yeah, it's a great way to connect uh, and find some new hunting buddies. Um, Kayla, your closing thoughts. Yeah, I had just scribbled down your, maybe you were planning to tie back to your original quote, but I like that it just said, start where you are and give what you can. Um, I think most of us here didn't, or not, didn't start out as avid upland hunters that came to the organization and you don't ever have to become one. Um, it's just a really, you get connected to some really amazing people that are just passionate about um, conservation and, and getting people connected into the outdoors in any capacity. So um, yeah, you certainly don't have to, I think we get the image of just a bird hunting club and, and that's mm -hmm. not really the case. And then just giving what you have, yeah, everyone's super busy. I think um, particularly our ladybird chapter is a lot of young moms that are trying to shuffle sports practices and maintaining the household and social schedules and what's for dinner. And um, sometimes they're just in and out as they can be, but um, every little bit helps. Yeah. That, that, when I was again, prepping for this podcast and came across from Arthur Ashe, and I'll repeat them, volunteering, start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. On the surface, that's all pretty simple. I mean, it, it really is. It, you know, it, there are so, there's so much that you can do, and I think this is underscored by the model, that, you know, you start where you are, and you can do amazing things in your own backyard, whether that's in Toledo, Ohio, or, you know, Monroe, Michigan, or Stillwater, Minnesota, um, or Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, Clay, what is your closing thoughts uh, from Kansas City? I was new to the community. I didn't know anybody. And I used Pheasants Forever to meet people and to get involved in, in the community. And I found a room of guys hanging out drinking beer that wanted me to be there and wanted my opinion and wanted to hear what I had to say. I guarantee that there's a room like that in your town, you know, wherever you're at listening to this, um, there's a group of guys out there or ladies that want to get to know you and uh, want your help and definitely want your help, want your time. And, um, you know, reach out to them because they need you. And, you know, we, earlier you'd asked the question about, uh, you know, what do you say to the person that doesn't have the time to volunteer? Have them come to a banquet, you know, at least come to the banquet and see, you know, what it's all about. Yes, you're going to be spending a little bit of money there, but usually at these banquets, we put on a little presentation of what we do with this money, you know, whether it's a video of a youth hunt or talking about our habitat projects or whatnot, but you can at least understand why you want to get involved with a, an organization like this. And, uh, you know, that's what I tell the people that don't have time for it, you know, to be committed every month coming to a meeting, come to the banquet once a year and, and help out that way. Yeah. It's good advice. And, you know, I always think, you know, the busiest people, you know, ultimately have the most fulfilling lives too. They're, they're happy. They're positive. Yeah. They got a lot going on, but they, they seem to always have smiles on their face. Like like Mike does right now as we close out. Mike, what's your what's your, what your closing thought for us? In addition to giving your own time, pull somebody else in with you. Get a buddy. They're, everybody says they're busy. Somebody they got some time. Bring in your buddy or or your family. Um, we our events been going on long enough. We bringing in kids now. You know some of the kids that were attending the event are now working at the event. So that that's bring in and bring in more people is, is where you can. Yeah. Also lessen some of your own burden at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What's that saying? Uh, many hands makes lighter the load. I probably butchered it a little bit, but you get the idea. <laughs> All right, Will, put a bow on it for us, buddy. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for joining us. Um, just an, an inspiring hour conversation. Thanks for volunteering what you do in your local community. I uh, often talk about, you know, engaging and recruiting volunteers, and I do that a lot. And one of the things I often find myself saying is, you know, to, to really get somebody involved, you, it, it needs to be fun or it needs to move you emotionally in some way. And I think this last hour kind of cements that, you know, we're, we're pulling kids out of the inner city and introducing them to the outdoors. 
that's incredible. Um, we're flying drones over fire lines. Uh, we're shooting cannons uh, with nets attached. I mean, this place, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, is fun. Um, and you can do work in your community that's really, truly meaningful. So it's been said um, a lot, but for the listeners out there, give it a try. Take a risk. Go meet that group of buddies that Clay was talking about. I can guarantee you, you will meet some of the greatest people uh, in this great country. Um, and they're all right here in our chapters. So that's my final thought. Yeah, you're along the same lines as I was thinking too. It's it's a lot of fun and it gets, it becomes a part of your identity. And I think about like probably once a month, I get asked for use of our logo from some form of burial company, which people are like out of blue, like, where is he going with this one? Um, but like, honest to goodness, like once a month, um, somebody wants to engrave our logo on a coffin or a monument. And a, a, the person wants the Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever logo in their last will and testament. They want the logo connected to them in death because it was so important to them in life. Think about that for a moment. You know, people, there, thousands of people with the tattoo of a Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever logo on their body. There's a guy in Pennsylvania with a, a gold Pheasants Forever logo on his tooth. I approve that one. <laughs> you know, tattoos, gold teeth, or an engraving of the Quail Forever logo on the casket you're going to be buried in. And you think about that for a moment and, you know, Kayla moving to North Dakota and how much, you know, a job became a volunteering, became a network of friends. You know, Austin going to a youth mentor hunt and getting a dog. That led to three dogs. <laughs> and, be, you know, volunteering and introducing all these kids to the outdoors. And same thing with, with Clay and Mike, you know, passing on traditions through people in your community through dogs and a love of the outdoors. It's just, it, it is, there's something special um, about pheasants forever and quail forever beyond, you know, your normal volunteering opportunity. You know, it's, it, this is a, becomes a part of who you are. And it is amazing that that model allows you to see the fruits of the work that you put into it. Um, so yeah, it, 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 you know, 40 years, um, it, it is a number, but the stories and the volunteers and the accomplishments are really the, the magic that's created. Um, it's not, not a 40 year milestone. It's the, you know, 22 million acres of habitat in the hundred million friendships that are created as a result. So, uh, check us out. If you're a member, if you're not a member, become a member. Uh, go to a banquet. Check out a banquet. Uh, we're coming up on banquet season. Spring banquet season accounts for about 75% of our banquets occur uh, late January, February, March, into April. The other um, 30, 25% of them occur in the fall, uh, particularly in states that are destination states for hunting, South Dakota, North Dakota, Kansas. But a ton of banquets occurring this springtime. You can find, a, find an event on quailforever.org or pheasantsforever.org right there, middle center of the homepage. If you're already a member and you're thinking, you know what, I want to drink some of this Kool-Aid too. I want to get more involved with bird dogs. I want to go on that Michigan grouse hunting trip with Austin. I want to um, change my life and meet some good people and good friends. Go to the find a chapter tab and uh, see you about getting connected with the local chapter in your community or helping to start one. 
because uh, you can make a big difference with this little organization. Uh, for Austin Roby, Kayla Bendel, Clay Denny, Mike Coyle, Will Clayton, I'm Bob St. Pierre thanking you for listening. If you're a volunteer, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being the lifeblood for 40 years and doing tremendous things on the landscape for the uplands. Um, and my final word, you know them, always follow the dog. Something good will rise. It might lead you to a chapter. Thanks, folks. Pheasants Forever's National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is coming to the Minneapolis Convention Center on February 17th through the 19th. Join us for puppy and dog training seminars, a youth village for kids, a public lands pavilion, pollinator and wildlife habitat, hunting gear, and more than 400 unique exhibitors. It's National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic the weekend of February 17th. Presented by Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and Federal Ammunition. For more information, log on to pheasantfest.org.